Hit well into center field. That one's carrying out at center. It's out of here. Oh, Johnny with a pinch hit home run. At the plate is Mike Trout. The pitch on its way. It's blasted out to dead center field. Out of here. Ball gets away. He's going to break for the plate. Ball game is over. The Angels with a walk-off win here in the bottom of the ninth inning. This is the Angels Recap Podcast, a review of the past week in Angels baseball. Here's your host, Trent Rush. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Angels Recap Podcast as we get set to talk some Angels baseball here for the next half hour or so. Here's the deal uh, on the podcast today. We're going to have Steven Nelson, MLB Network host and anchor. He's replaced Chris Rose as uh, the host of Intentional Talk. Him and Kevin Millar do such a great job on MLB Network. Steven, a Chapman guy, an Orange County native uh, that has uh, made his way back east and uh, has done a great job at MLB Network and has uh, just started a new venture. We're going to talk with Steven about out intentional talk and what it's like hosting that show, interacting with the players uh, across baseball that he interacts with. He also hosted a special just this past Sunday night. Uh, Steven is, is an Asian American. He's half Japanese, and he was joined by many other Asian Americans in baseball and talked a lot about uh, their experience in the game. I think Steven provided some pretty unique insight uh, that I know that uh, a lot of folks are going to want to hear. I certainly enjoyed hearing Steven's perspective and uh, getting to learn a little bit more uh, from him. Definitely uh, appreciated that. We're also going to get to some of your questions here in a moment uh, because that's what we do on the Angels Recap post-game show that we do after all the Angels home games. If you're ever driving home from a game, just tune in to Angels Recap on Angels Radio AM 830. You know, I love it. You come to the game, you get to enjoy your ballpark experience of a great time, whether you're eating a St. Archer pretzel or uh, just uh, enjoying a beverage uh, watching Angels baseball. When you get in your car, you get on home. Send a tweet before uh, you put your car in drive. Send a tweet. Uh, hit me up at Trent Rush Sports, and I'm going to try to read your tweets on the air. But um, you can't get to them all. There's a lot of folks that, that have a lot of questions. I try to answer as many as I can on the show, but so some of those I didn't get to. I want to make sure that we get here on this podcast. So I appreciate those uh, that have seen some of the tweets out there and responded to that. So I want to ask uh, as many or answer, I guess, as many of the questions uh, that you asked as possible here on the show. So here's the deal with the Angels also. Look, as we're taping this podcast. We're taping it before Wednesday's game in the series finale against the Texas Rangers before the Angels hit the road. They're going to play four games in Oakland, and then they got two games in San Francisco here in the next week. The Angels, where they sit right now, having won the last two games, they are seven games back out of first place. And no matter how much the Angels have been through the ups of the very first couple of weeks of the season to the downs to some of the losing streaks to losing Mike Trout, through all of that, Quite honestly, to only be seven games out right now, I feel like the Angels are still going to be in position to where if they can tread water when they get Mike Trout back, they're going to be able to make a push. That's the thing about this division. There is not a team in this division that's run away with this thing. I mean, take a look at the Astros. Take a look at the A's. Those are the, the teams that the Angels are going to be competing with you know, for that top spot in the division. And right now, th- those are teams, just the way that they look, I don't know that those are juggernauts. I mean, just when I look at the AL West, you really feel like the Angels have a chance here. And I don't know that we've talked enough about this aspect uh, of this as well. The month of May... The Angels played just an incredibly tough schedule. I am not one for making excuses, but I I do want to just take a look at the reality here. So in the month of May, the Angels were part of 10 series. 
Seven of those were against teams over 500, and all seven of those 10 uh, were either first or second place teams. So you're, that's a lot of teams that are right at the top of their divisions. Seven out of 10 series. So, I mean, you just want to take a look at a win percentage for the month of May. The Angels had to deal with, man, their opponents were really, really good. Now you look into June, and the Angels are going to only have five series against over 500 teams. Five of the nine are against teams that are 500 or better. And right now, only Tampa Bay and Oakland are on the slate for June that are opponents that are in the top two in their division. So that that's a huge break for the Angels. The Halos are definitely getting a drop-off in June in terms of the level of competition. April, I thought, was a pretty balanced month. May was really tough, and June should be on the easier side. So hopefully the Angels can play better baseball, play over 500 in June, and get closer to back on track heading into the All-Star break. You get Mike Trout back, and all of a sudden you're within striking distance to go make a push in August and September. It's, it's it's not like the Angels are out of this thing, but they, they do have to take care of business and win the games that they're supposed to win. You know, Friday night felt like a game. The Angels really needed to win. Uh, it just didn't happen. There, that's been the case several times this season, but then a game like Sunday where it looked like the Angels were going to give that one away every time they needed a key moment somebody would step up, whether it be Shohei Otani, whether it be Justin Upton, different guys have stepped up, and that, no question, has been encouraging to see. So now I want to get to Twitter. I want to answer some of your questions before we hear from Steven Nelson, and we'll start with Fernando Mendez, who goes, who's the first domino to fall uh, that the Angels may trade away that would shape the future of the organization yet uh, not cost many losses this season? Would Max Stassi be somebody like that? You know, Fernando... I still think it's too early to try to make that determination. I don't know that the Angels are in a position right now to determine if they're going to even be buyers or sellers. The one part about the way the 2021 roster is constructed, there are a lot of expiring deals at the end of this year. So if you are, you know, if you are the Angels, you might be in position to sell if the Angels don't play close to 500 baseball and they're out of it by the time by the time that Trout comes back at that July 30th trade deadline. If that's the case, you know, then you have a lot of expiring deals and then it's you know any number of players that could be traded away. That's like the one thing I've learned about this business is sports are in fact a business and teams that win stick together teams they don't win you know get broken up to bring in players that hopefully will win that's just the reality of how it goes you never want to see people traded that's why i don't like talking about trade rumors and mentioning names on a podcast or a radio show we're talking about human lives involved here in this so i don't want to get into that i don't want to get into that speculation but if you're on an expiring deal then and you there's not a lot of you know club control there then i would say that your chances of getting moved are higher if the angels aren't winning so that, that's basically the only way I can answer that question. Who would be the first domino to fall? I think it's way too tough to tell. And at this point in the season, I really feel like the Angels are at least a month away from even making a move one way or another. Whether you go and try to add players, well, you got to see how you play without Mike Trout before you start taking on more salary, uh, taking on more risk by bringing on different players. you got to evaluate that first because if the Angels can't play well without Mike Trout, and then they fall out of this thing, well, you're kind of throwing money away. You're throwing assets away that you might want in the future. Now, if the Angels play really well, okay, well, then maybe you want to go take some of those chances, some of those risks, maybe cash in some prospect chips to go bring somebody else in. 
you can make that determination maybe in a month from now. I don't know that now is the time to do that. I think it's a little early still. Um, as far as another question here, this one from Edward Killian, who goes, should the Angels be in a holding mode waiting for everyone to get healthy and regroup, or is it time for radical retooling? Edward, I, I think that you know, I guess I'm reading this and we're on the same page here. Um, kind of what I just answered before. I do think the Angels are in a holding mode. I don't know that there's anything you can do right now. Obviously, you want to see this Angels team play better, and yes, they've won the last two games, but you want to see them string together uh, a series of wins, start off by winning series, then try to win some weeks, and then you know put a streak together. Absolutely. You want to see the Angels do that because we all know the talent in the room. We all know how much talent is on this Angels roster, and you just want to be able to see it come through and, and get different guys going. I know Anthony Rendon is you know, off to a slow start this season. You'd like to see Rendon be able to pick it up and, and help with that. Justin Upton uh, started out hot, gotten himself into a funk, and now looks like he's on his way out of that. That's great to see. Jared Walsh has been solid, but you know you need all these guys to be hitting for you, especially with Mike Trout not in the lineup. And on top of that, of course, the Angels need to pitch better. We all know this. So, you know, bullpen starters doesn't matter. Everyone's got to pitch better. Um, that is a major part of where the Angels are at right now. And if they're going to be a team that is going to contend, uh, not just for a spot in the postseason, but, hey, we're all trying to win a championship here. And I don't think that there is any – I don't know that there is any goal that's unreachable when you have who I think are, are two of the best players in the game in Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. And you'll be hard-pressed to find somebody that would disagree with that. So I know the Angels don't have Trout right now, but when you have this much talent, there is no goal that's unreasonable. So why not shoot for the Stars? Why not talk about a championship? I know you got to get some get to the postseason first, obviously. But you know that's part of you know what you're you're trying to do here. And right now is is not the time to to be making radical moves. I think one way or another. Um, this is a good question here from Ryan's Fury, who says, "Can you remind me some of the rules of the designated hitter?" Uh, talking about Sunday's game when Shohei Otani was supposed to get an off day, came in as a pinch hitter in the seventh inning, and uh, was asking about if Rojas was going to be able to go into, into right field instead of Shohei. What that would have meant was the Angels then would have lost the designated hitter, as you mentioned. That's what would have happened had the Angels done that. And going back to that situation, Shohei was the last player off the bench when he came. In. The Angels were out of players, essentially. Um, actually, just you know, factually, they were out of players uh, when Shohei Otani pinch hit in the seventh inning. So the option for the Angels going into the top of the eighth was you either have Shohei Otani go into right field and stay in the game and leave Rojas as your DH, or if you took uh, Rojas and put him in right field, then your pitcher has to hit the rest of the way. So there was nowhere really for Shohei to go on that front. Um, he had to go to right field. It was the only option that the Angels had, and that was significant for a couple of reasons. For one, you know, Justin Upton had a sack fly, which ended up giving the Angels a 6-5 lead. It was the game-winning RBI in the eighth inning. But had he not gotten the job done, the next batter was Rojas, which would have been the pitcher's spot. So you would have had a pitcher hitting in what would have been a tie game with two outs and the potential winning run 90 feet away. That would have not been a great situation at all. And Joe Madden explained that further. Even in the ninth inning, the Angels would have had Rendon, Walsh, and Otani do up the next inning. So the way it was set up, that's part of why you do that. Um, it was, you know, I, I, you're, you're taking a risk also by putting Shohei Otani in right field. But the Angels essentially made the determination that it was less of a risk to have Otani in right field than have to potentially have a pitcher hit in a key moment in that game. And I agree with that. 
uh, mindset there. Shohei has proven he can be a competent outfielder uh, for the Angels. Look, you're not asking him uh, to do a ton, and, and he really hasn't been tested all that much out there. But I think the Angels believe that Shohei can do a good enough job out there uh, to get through a situation to try to get another at-bat. And we've seen him do this before in times that he's pitched as well. So it's not completely foreign to him. But I appreciate all the questions. If you have another question of your own that you want to ask, hit me up on Twitter, at Trent Rush Sports, hashtag Angels Recap, and we'll try to get it on the uh, Angels Recap postgame show on AM830 after Angels home games. All right, now it is time for our conversation with MLB Network host Steven Nelson. Hanging out with Steven Nelson, MLB Network anchor. He's the host of Intentional Talk, and he is joining us now, a SoCal product, Pride of Huntington Beach. Hanging with the Steven Nelson. What's going on, man? How are you? Steve, my brother, always loves getting to chat with you professionally. I mean, we do it all the time, like person-to-person in right. tech threads, but so, yeah, we can like broadcast up our voice a little bit and be, be true, capital uh, P professionals, yeah. capital J journalists. Yeah. Way to go! Way to go! Way to step! Way to step that up and get that in there. And the uh, pride of Chapman University as well. Uh, by the way, yeah. we got Steven Nelson in the house. Go Panthers! Um, let's. Uh, I, w- I want to talk about your new show because I was so fired up to find out. Uh, I mean, obviously Chris Rose w- was so good on that show with Kevin Millar for so many years, and I was always just a big fan of that show. Yeah, and now I find out that you're hosting it, and I'm loving what you're bringing to that show. I think it's really cool. I, I would just kind of like to know what your experience has been like as the new host of it man look i i think it's um it's hard being the guy after the dude in anything right i think we see that in sports all the time and it was no different for me in this broadcasting role because of rosie who is as i mentioned a broadcasting legend i think i like many sports fans and many viewers of it and MLB network grew up watching him on best damn sports show and loving him on that show. And then he goes to MLB Network and creates this magic with with 1-5. And he and Millar just had this magical chemistry and brotherhood that came through on the screen, and that really pulled everybody in, from players in clubhouses to the fans at home. And to then not have that after a decade, that's a a, uh, change of pace doesn't even do that justice. That is a... um, it's a whole new book. It's not even a new chapter. And so my only mindset when starting this job for this season was just to try and honor what they built there. Like, I, you know, I, I can't try to be anybody but myself. Um, and I know that that's not going to be good enough for some people. It's just, uh, look, we're, we're humans. We hate change. <laughs> I don't like that. Like, we find our restaurants, we find our things we like to eat, and we stick with that. And then when it's taken off the menu, well, we go find a different restaurant then. Um, so, yeah, look, I'm just going to try and keep the good vibes going. I think this, this, that this show has always been about uh, the players and the fans. And even though it's a different host sitting next to Millar now, that, that's not going to change. I think it's about celebrating the, the people in the game, the stories that this game provides us every single night. So it's been it's been a fun ride to start. A little choppy just because we've been showing so many games on the network, so we haven't had that many shows. So it's been a little tough to kind of get into a rhythm, but we know that things will pick up as the summer goes along and the season really gets going. One of the things I love about that show, and I think that your style fits this too, is it's just it keeps baseball fun. 
right? I mean, we talk. Yeah. I mean, things get you know when you're in it, you, you want to talk about a lot of the the deep dives and the analytics, and uh, you watch games with a critical right. eye, and you're constantly questioning what a, what a manager's doing, uh, what's a player doing in that at bat, and, and there's a place for that, and I think that it's, it's fun to get deep yep. into that kind of stuff. But the way that you guys keep things lighthearted and interesting, I think that that creates such a connection point. Like, what has your experience been in hearing from players and fans just keeping things light? Because you guys you guys have a blast on that show, and it's fun to watch you guys have fun. Yeah, man. I think that that's what um, has helped the show thrive over the years, is that it really is just about laughs and smiles man and i think that uh, particularly now in this age of social media where um we have direct access to a lot of a lot of weighty stuff that can bring you down emotionally and i'm not saying those things aren't important to tackle uh, but you know things aren't as localized or regionalized as they used to be so things that could be happening on the other side of the world that are terrible you see that every day and you're like gosh it's just another crummy day here um and so look we're talking baseball and sports broadcasting here so it's you know not even apples or oranges it's a totally different deal but i I think that yeah that's what is uh what intentional talk is all about i remember a couple years ago um anthony rendon when he was with the Nats, um we were trying to get him on and i remember him it, it, we heard through the grapevine that the only show that he really wanted to do was IT. And we got him on the rundown anyway because he was player of the week and we had to <laughs> acknowledge that. But, you know, like that's the sentiment that I think is common throughout clubhouses is, okay, where's the request coming from? Oh, MLB Network, which show? Is it IT? I hope it's IT. Because they know that when they get on there, we're not going to be talking about the fact that they may be slumping at the plate or – um, the team may be scuffling and on the struggle bus. It's going to be about a weird Instagram post that they put up seven years ago that we're going to laugh about now. Or it's going to be about um, poking fun at some of their teammates in the clubhouses who are watching on TV in the clubhouse. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, that's the IT identity. And um, we just want to keep that train moving, you know? Yeah, I hope when you had Anthony Rendon on, you guys were able to discuss some Taylor Swift because I know that that is like if you want to get if you want to get uh, to uh, to Tony Two Bags heart, I think that's the way to go. I think it's you go through, yeah. you go to Taylor Swift. That's the route. We went, yeah, I think we what we did we highlighted the many uh, facial hair and hair look oh, yeah. of Tony uh, from the long locks to the goatee to the beard to the short hair to what he looked like when he was at Houston and then also his dad strength. That he was developing at the time. Way to go! Anything really other than than baseball with Tony, I think that's the strongest play. <laughs> Another reason why I love that show, especially now that like we don't get to hang, like even here at the ballpark, we don't really get to be in the clubhouse around just with all the you know the COVID restrictions. We don't get to be down on the field. We get a little bit of that in the booth, like with uh, you know Mark Langston and Mark Gubaza. Like they make it feel a little bit like you're in the clubhouse, just the way that those guys talk. Mm-hmm. But it feel like like for the fan at home, that is the closest you're gonna ever feel to being like in the clubhouse because those are clubhouse conversations that are happening and that is what is uh 
so fun. I, I want to switch gears for a moment, though, Stephen, because you talk about you know bringing up weighty issues, and you know IT is it's so fun, it's so loose, and then you're part of something that was very different from that. Just this past Sunday, um, a special is you know as, as being somebody that is Japanese and is a major part of your life and your you know your heritage to be able to be on a special like that and talking about you know so many people um, of Asian descent in baseball and their role. What was it like to be able to host a show like that and be able to showcase, you know, so many of the great talents um, from people that, you know, have, have a like heritage. Yeah, T, I mean, you, you know me and you know how much pride I have in, you know, my family, my background, my mother's Japanese, you know, my, my father's uh, Italian Norwegian. So I'm, I, I'm half Japanese and I've grown up kind of in that culture, immersed in it. And I'm just so proud of that. And so, I never really thought I'd have the chance to do anything close to that. Like when I started the network, I remember pitching a, a round table table segment. It's like, hey, maybe we can have you know a couple you know Asian American Pacific Islanders in baseball to sit down and, and and talk, and maybe we air that segment on MLB tonight. I never in my wildest dreams believed that MLB Network or any national sports network would say, no, you have ninety minutes. Like, do take as much time as you need in fact, to talk about what is happening right now, in particular in our in that community. You know, I think everybody who's been paying attention over the past year has seen the dramatic spike in violence against the AAPI community. You know, as violent crime has dropped 7%, violent crime against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders has jumped more than 150%. And that's mind-boggling to think about. And so I'm so appreciative of our bosses at MLB Network in the league for understanding that there's something that can be done with our platform. Um, and we're going to maximize that to kind of shed light on the experiences of this community. And so it was really, really moving to be a part of that. I'm going to be honest, man, it was, it was emotional. After a couple of interviews, I, I just remember going out into the hall in the studio and kind of breaking down because I just, I, it was um, just so special um, to, to kind of witness the team come together and have our guests from Colton Wong of the Brewers, Don Wakamatsu, bench coach of the Rangers, former manager of the Mariners, or Ronnie Darling, one of our analysts in the network, Dave Roberts, Kim Ang, Farhan Zaidi, Jin Wong, um, and some media members and some friends, just everybody be so open and vulnerable and sharing what they've gone through. And I think it just gives people at home watching a little sense of what the experience is like and hopefully inspires just a little bit more empathy and compassion. Like, that was my only goal. If I reach one person to say, hey, you know what, like, I didn't, I didn't realize this, and maybe change their perspective a little bit, or even if they don't agree. I, I've had people message me, saying, hey, like, I saw this on the show. I don't quite understand. I, like, that, that was the goal because it's, the show, a conversation, wasn't a uh, start and finish. It was, it was just the, um, the start, no finish. Like, we got to keep things going. This is a daily thing for all of us, uh, it, myself included, uh, to get better in those regards with empathy and compassion. So, um, like I said, it was, it was a really incredible thing to be a part of. It was a career maker for me. If I do nothing else in my career, I'll be proud to have done that. And it's very cool to, to hear you say that. And 
Uh, you know, growing up in Southern California, I mean, you and I, I know, had similar experience in, in the sense of just where we grew up. But in, in Southern California, I mean, this has to be, as a region, one of the most diverse regions in the world, uh, just with the walks yeah. of life that come through. But I'll just tell you, like, I have learned so much since Shohei Otani became a part of the organization in that 2018 first season and beyond, learning so much about the Japanese culture that I really had no idea about living in Orange County. I just I just never knew, and I've learned so much about it. And, and that's been one of the things for me that I have really appreciated about having, you know, obviously what Shohei is doing on the field it is incredible, but learning so much mm-hmm. from, from Japanese fans and, and reporters and hearing how big a deal he is is just crazy yeah. in the way that they love this guy. So I, I would be curious to hear your perspective on uh, what it's like having Shohei Otani play for the Angels, which is the team that, you know, is the, in the backyard of where you grew up in Huntington Beach. Yeah. yeah. No, you hit the nail on the head there, T, with a, with a couple of things. One, I was very lucky to grow up where I did in Southern California, where there is a massive and strong Asian-American community. And, you know, I was able to turn on the TV and see Rob Pugazaki talking about sports every night. Yeah. And that's been, that's been a common phrase that we're hearing more of the past year. Uh, to be it, you have to see it. And I saw it. So I, I knew that this was a path for me that I could go down. Some folks aren't lucky around the country to, to grow up and look around and see people like them doing things that they want to do. And in terms of Shohei Otani, yeah, I, I'm glad that the game – is celebrating him the way it is, even though I still think somehow we're not appreciating him enough. Um, <laughs> I which, agree which with is, you. Which is which is wild to yeah. think about. And I mentioned this on IT last week. I think it's because we're in the age of overexposure. You know, like when the Golden State Warriors, they started to get good and they were playing this fun style of basketball with the Splash Brothers. It was like, oh, this is amazing. And then after a couple years of the Warriors turning into the Warriors, it was like, all right, I'm over it. They're, all right, this is overrated. They're not that good. I think that's kind of what has happened um, with showing a sense because we've heard about him going back to his days playing NPB, and we knew okay, two way guy coming over, another you know another Japanese product. Like I, I, we get it. Uh, the other guys kind of flamed out. They weren't as good as everybody told us they were going to be. So I think it's probably going to be the same with Shohei. And no, 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 he's he's doing things. And his name is now next to Babe Ruth in the history of our game. Um, so, um, you know, getting back to, to your question, I think that um, watching him do what he does on the field, I hope folks then take the next step and say, gosh, not only is he kind of adjusting to playing in the big leagues, he's assimilating to a whole new country and a whole new culture. And all these players of – diverse backgrounds or foreign backgrounds are, are, are doing that. And I don't know if, uh, if fans take into account how difficult that is for players and their families uh, to do. Um, and so uh, to sum it up, T, I think it's all about living beyond your own experience, even though you may not have experienced or seen um, discrimination or racism against a particular community, even though you may not understand what an athlete like Shohei maybe going through on a day-to-day basis, try to say, okay, it's always that, that, the classic saying, you know, walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. Just program our brains to do that. I don't want to get too preachy, but I really do think it's, it's just that simple. Like don't overthink things. Don't make things um, conflate conversations 
and make something about um, a topic that it's not, just simplify things and kind of uh, broaden horizons a little bit. So I think that's kind of um, been my takeaway. You know, as a minority myself, I, I think it's incumbent on all of us uh, to challenge ourselves in that way. Yeah, that's good advice right there. I do want to, you know, talk more Shohei on the baseball field too, because Shohei. I mean, look, you you hit the nail on the head. I thought like when you're talking about the overexposure, you know, we read all the time, you know, Babe Ruth Shohei stats, and and honestly, as amazing as those stats are, it almost kind of become you become numb to hearing hearing Shohei Otani be compared to Babe Ruth all the time. I think part of that is we all never saw Babe Ruth, so we really, it's just a mythical figure to many of us, I think. And the other part yeah. of that, too, is there's so many stats and there's nobody in between. You just cannot compare them. You can't compare anybody mm-hmm. to what we're seeing with Shohei Otani. We get yeah. the Angels' perspective, and I talk on this radio show and this podcast every single week. I talk about you know the Angels' perspective with Shohei Otani and what he is doing here, and we see him every day, and it's incredible. I would like to know the national perspective on Shohei Otani. Like when you go and you're talk with your producers and you're getting ready for the show and talk with other guys in the network, whether it be Pedro or or you know you mentioned Ron Darling, whoever it is, getting ready for the mm-hmm. show. What is their impression of Shohei Otani and what he's doing? They, honestly, T, I, I've asked a number of current players. Forget our analysts. Our analysts are in awe, right? But I've been talking to some current players recently, and they, they struggle to find the words to describe what we're seeing with Shohei. I mean, Sean Doolittle, for example, a reliever for the Cincinnati Reds, won a championship with Anthony Rendon in Washington. He was a two-way player at the University of Virginia, which is one of the top-notch college baseball programs in America and has been for a long time. He's not a two-way player anymore. Talked to Jake Cronenworth today at the San Diego Padres. He was a two-way player at Michigan and even into his minor league career. They're not doing two-way things anymore. And they are, um, again, just struggling to process it and put it into words for the casual fans um, just how excellent Shohei is and just how difficult it is to do what he's doing at a low level. Forget, you know, this all-star level, league-leading level in a number of categories uh, for for a good stretch there for Shohei. So um, I think that if if people are really about the game and are following baseball, they know. They know. If the casual fan or the hardened fan doesn't appreciate Shohei Otani, Honestly, T, like, they're not worth our time trying to fight them on it. Like, that is that is an issue that they have to confront themselves. Sure, That's yeah. a problem. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just going to enjoy this ride with you and everybody else who loves and appreciates Shohei. I'm not going to be brought down by people who just are, are, are too dumb to see um, this historic talent that we're watching i mean he does something every night i mean you should steven i wish you were here on sunday when it was a a situation where the angels needed to run the tie of the game the bases were loaded Shohei, who has had one game off all season and it was on a double header he has not had one full day off 
even in this game, he was supposed to finally get a day off. Joe Madden says, hey, no, we got to get Shohei out here. We got to tie this game, try to end this losing streak. And you should have heard Angel Stadium, only only 15,000 fans, but it felt like 50. They just erupted to see Shohei. And of course he came through. I mean, he hits at 111 off the bat. It didn't go over the wall. It was a sack fly. But you, I wish you could have heard just how crazy it was at the Big A when he did it because it was so special. And I think fans here realize it. And I think we are starting to see it happen now. Nationally, because at least what I heard was, well, you knew Shohei was going to be a pretty good batter. You believed in the bat, but how good was he going to be as a pitcher? You almost felt like, okay, anything he does on the mound is going to be a bonus. And now you look at, you know, his situation and especially the situation the Angels are in, and you think, man, I don't know if he's more valuable as a pitcher or a hitter. It's both. You got to have him do both, and he has done it, and it has been mind-boggling and an incredible experience to watch him every day. I tell you, it's it's been amazing yeah. watching Shohei. Totally, T. And I'm I'm glad you kind of bring up that full that full picture for his body of work because I think people are also just kind of chalking it up to oh yeah he also throws 101 miles per hour oh yeah he also has crazy exit velos off the bat and he's hitting a bunch of home runs and it's not like the little things that he's doing how he is commanding the plate in the strike zone as a hitter top like you know toes. Toes up. I mean, they're, we've seen him get to pitches in all parts of the zone and around the zone. His speed down the line at his size, like this is all – it's a, it's a full body of work that needs appreciation here. It's not just velocity and power. It is an all-around player. And I think that, again, to have a greater appreciation, the, the Rays put out a video a couple weeks ago of Tyler Glassnell's routine – from start day when he throws his last pitch, comes out of the game, every day after that until he throws the first pitch of his next start. Okay, and he walks everybody through that. It was an amazing piece of content and really insightful. That is what he is focused on as a starter. So then just try to wire your brain to think about what Shohei is going through every single day without full days off, as you just alluded to, to make sure his body is ready to perform at this level and then you kind of just shake your head and you're like i I don't know how he's doing it i really don't um but again it's a it's it's a treat just to be able to witness this this is something that like you'll tell your grandkids about like you got to watch this now a, a counterpoint that was brought up to me by one of those hardened fans that i thought was interesting was the age of specialization and, T, I feel like we've talked about this, you know, going back to our days at Chapman, how in our country, especially in this generation, athletes aren't being allowed to just kind of be athletes. You know, go play every sport you want. We'll play every position you kind of want to do. Just go out there and play, which is what Joe Madden, the Angels staff in front office, told Shohei. Just, just be a ball player. But no, no training wheels. No, no, you start this day, can't play this day on the bench this day, DH that day. No, just play. Go play. And you wonder how many star talents the game may have missed out on because of that system of specialization, but that's not Shohei's fault. That's no reason to uh, dismiss him and not fully celebrate his brilliance. 
That is such a great point you bring up. I'm glad you did. I mean, Shohei, like the other day, the way he even approaches at-bats, yes, he can go hit a 450-foot home run, but the other day, you know, maybe something wasn't going. Maybe he saw an opportunity, a heavy shift over the right side. He drops a bunt, gets on with a bunt single, and then tries to steal second base. He ended up getting caught, called out. I think he was safe in there, but that's not, neither here nor there. But it was one of those <laughs> things he almost he almost turned it into a double just the way that he uses his legs and the way he thinks and the way that he goes about his business. Um, it, it's so yeah. cool to watch Shohei on so many levels. And it looks like again, getting back to you and Millar on IT, it looks like he's having fun. And is that not what baseball is supposed to be? The game is supposed <laughs> to be fun. And this guy is having a blast out there. I love watching that. I think Fabio Nardaya, the athletic, used to cover the Angels now on the Dodger beat, but he's a friend of both of ours. And he, I think he tweeted a while ago that Shohei is also the most memeable player in baseball. Like <laughs> a, wholesome, a wholesome meme every single night. So that's like the eighth tool for Shohei Otani as well. He makes everything fun. He's been massive for the Halos. Uh, he's incredibly important to the game of baseball right now. And, again, just take it in uh, while we can. Uh, we're, we're truly blessed. Steven, I really appreciate it. We almost did 30 minutes right there, and we didn't even talk Mike Trout, and hopefully the, he can get back soon for the Angels. Uh, Halos need him badly, um, and he's important yeah. for the game too. But, my goodness, uh, what Shohei Otani is bringing to the table right now, just for the sport in general. I, I still I still say I think he is not the most um, interesting person in baseball i think he is the most interesting athlete in the world right now i think Shohei is that and uh steven i really appreciate you uh taking the time not just to spend it with us on what i know is a very busy schedule for you but you know also to get through and, and, to, and to talk about you know some of the issues uh, happening around the world and in our country and and doing that on a bigger stage on mlb network as well i appreciate you doing that and i appreciate you spending time with us yeah, I love you, Dan. I love you, man. You know that. And I, I got to say thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about all those things, you know, uh, with your audience as well. Um, I miss home. I miss being around uh, around you and uh, my family back there. So um, I'm grateful to be able to link up like this uh, whenever possible. Not to make you jealous, but I think I might go ahead over to Bear Flag and uh, have some of that right now. Not to, not to rub it in too much, but I do. All right. I hate you. I hate you. Goodbye. <laughs> we'll see you. Thanks, Stephen. Take care. Yeah, full disclosure, Stephen and I go way back. Uh, we, we went to college together back at uh, Chapman University, and Stephen's doing awesome things at MLB Network. And thanks to him for spending some time with us, giving us a, a unique perspective, and also uh, for, you know for, for telling us about what he thinks of Shohei Otani just as far as the country is concerned. I know we all kind of get in this bubble here, this angel bubble, and we watch every single night, but it is kind of nice to hear what other people are saying around us when it comes to Shohei Otani. And I mean, this guy, you just cannot express in words enough how incredible it is to see what he is doing. If you get a chance to see Shohei Otani, do it. I know that sometimes it's tough to get to the ballpark. It's going to be easier starting on June 17th when the Big A opens. You can go to angels.com slash tickets and get your tickets. Um, I get that it's been harder to get to the Big A. Um, It's not always going to be that way. And do it. If you have a chance to come here and see Shohei Otani, do not miss that opportunity. Um, He is a a once-in-a-century kind of player. And who knows what ends up happening with Otani. Maybe he spurs a whole generation of two-way stars. But regardless, 
he is the first one really uh, in a hundred years to be doing this and it is phenomenal watching Shohei Otani all right that's gonna just about do it for us here on the Angels Recap Podcast for Stephen Nelson uh, for joining us as our guest and for Hannah Stang for all she does behind the scenes and getting this podcast uh, up and available to you my name is Trent Rush thanks to everybody for being a part of our show for those that sent in some questions using the hashtag Angels Recap and hit me up at Trent Rush Sports extra thanks to you for that Angels hitting the road for six games by the Bay this week. It's a week in uh, in the Bay Area, four games against Oakland, two games against the Giants, and then we see the Angels come on back home. And again, we're all getting ready for that June 17th date when the Big A can be at full capacity. Again, angels.com slash tickets. Do not miss that. If you ever miss a podcast or an Angels recap show, of course, you can go to angels.com slash podcast or pretty much wherever you found this podcast. Check out some of the other ones. We've had some pretty neat conversations lately that I think you will appreciate as well. Have a great rest of your day. This has been the Angels Recap Podcast.